Listen, guys, it is much more of an honor for Patsy and I to be here. Uh, we genuinely love you guys. We love Brian and Shalise. They're just like our kids, uh, about the same age, or probably younger, actually. Uh, okay, don't stand up then. Uh, I want to introduce my wife, my beautiful wife. Come up here, baby. Uh, <clears throat> Isn't she gorgeous? We've been married for, we're running up the backside of 40 years. And uh, I'm totally convinced it's going to work. I'm settled now. <laughs> uh, the early years weren't that, weren't, I wasn't as convinced. But what I, she, she, this is the greatest gift God's ever given me. Uh, you wouldn't know who I am or ever heard of my name if it weren't for her. She, through our covenant together, she saved our businesses in 1992. And those of you who have been through the school have heard that testimony. It's, a, it's not only a good testimony, it's true. And she is the power in that covenant. Her faith and her trust in God got us through a time when I lost mine. And I was mad at God and everybody else because God had been prophesying to me for years and years that I would own uh, a very large company. I'd given my life to it. We started that company three years later. I lost everything in a day. All my contracts, laid off 65 employees, and she acted like it didn't even happen. <laughs> and I, you know, hopefully sometime I can tell you that whole testimony. You'll get, we'll say something? No. Nope. She fixes me all the time. You, you sure you don't want to say something? She can talk, too. I can talk. It's just really a blessing to be here today. I've heard so many things about Prayer Mountain mountain and like Paul said I'm kind of excited to get to go through one of the encounter weekends sooner or later while we're up here so we're just blessed to be here we love all of you she's also the mother of our three kids and nine, grandmother of our nine grandchildren and so anyway it's a blessing for me to have her with me there was a time when I was traveling the world and she wasn't always with me and I'm about half as good when she's not there maybe a little less Okay, um, well, it's good. It's just really good to be here. I just, I sense God's going to do something this morning. He already has. Um, that's what always happens to me. Praise and worship sets me off like a rocket. And, uh, and God begins to speak, and, and, and he's given me a, a tremendous word, not only for this, uh, not only for this house, but I believe for several people here. That, um, that we've come to love. I had a word for Lori, but I had to give it to her last night because part of it was personal. Uh, you did hear it, didn't you? Good. She's one of my students, first-year students. Janice is one of my first. I know there's several of you here. I appreciate you guys trekking up the mountain. Uh, that's good. Is this a good place to be or what? Let me tell you what I want to do this morning. I want to talk to you for a little while about, um, about covenant relationships. Uh, I have a teaching that I do that's uh, it's close to 13 hours of teaching. So you're going to get the, the many, many, many Cliff Notes version. But I'm going to try to give you some highlights of what I think God wants to say this morning. How many, <clears throat> this is what's on my heart, and I'm going to pray here in just a minute. And I'm going to get you guys to pray for me this morning. Uh, the, the devil's been trying to take me out for four years. I had cancer four years ago. God healed me. I had cancer last month. Had a tumor in my stomach the size of a golf ball. Can I just tell you it's not there? Um, I don't have time to tell you that testimony. I told Brian and Shalice the other night when they were over for dinner. Just incredible what God's done in my life. Uh, he, my mother and I have got this healing thing down. We've both been healed of cancer. Her twice. Now me twice. 
Um, but you know what? I'm, I don't want it anymore. I'm not going to have it anymore. But right now my body is uh, refusing to absorb iron. So I'm going to have a couple of you guys pray for me this morning and be done with that. Uh, I'm going down the road. But uh, healing is in the covenant. Now let me say this on the back side of that. You and I have never received a thing from God apart from the covenant. God will never depart from the covenant to give you anything. The reason for that is, is because everything that he's provided for us, he provided for in the covenant. Now, what do I, keep, what do I mean by in the covenant? Most of you are well aware that, we, that there's two covenants. Now, I'm not holding up a paper Bible. I'm holding up an iPad, but this is a Bible. There are two covenants. There's an old covenant and a new covenant. And the covenant that you or I are under is a better covenant based upon better promises. Now, healing was in the first covenant. If we're in one that's got better covenant based on better promises, what do you think what do you is coming to us? God's promises are real. And their fulfillment in our life can be real. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I believe the body of Christ has lost the ability to receive from God. Can I speak generally? The body of Christ doesn't know how to receive from God because we've let our doctrine, we've let the doctrines of demons come in and contaminate what the Word of God really says about it. Did you know that's really a very simple thing to receive what God has done? But it takes an understanding of the Word, and that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at the Word, what it really says. And I want to give you a picture out of the Old Testament. I'm not even going to the New Testament, so if you haven't got your Old Testament, you just have to listen. I'm going to show you the heart of God through the Old Testament and His... See, I'm more interested, guys, in what's in God's heart about the covenant than what we think. He designed the covenant. He introduced the covenant. He established the covenant. He understands it better than any of us do. So we need to go to God to find out what's in the covenant. Now, the covenant, a covenant, is different in, in this sense. In our society... We've lost the understanding of covenant. Um, there are still societies in the world where covenant is taken very seriously. However, it's, it's been perverted. I'll give you an example. In, I've spent a lot of time in Africa. And there are African tribes and others who believe in covenant relationship to the point where... How many of you remember Dr. Livingston? When he went through Africa, the way he made it through Africa was he discovered that if he would make covenant with the chiefs of the tribes of Africa, they would allow him passage through the country. Not only that, but they would come and defend him and die for him. That was a credible revelation to Dr. Livingston. Why would these people do this? They did it because they understood covenant. Now, in the African tribes, covenant... The, the, and I don't have time to teach all this because there's ten steps to covenant making. And I'm not, no way I can touch this. But in the covenant, there's protection uh, for us. And in, and in the tribes in Africa, what they do is they will defend you, if you're in covenant with them, to the fifth generation. Let me give you an example. If Brian and I uh, were in covenant together and someone murdered my wife, Brian and his descendants would chase them down for five generations and kill them. Okay, now, I'm talking to you about ungodly covenants, okay? We don't kill people, we don't do that, okay? Uh, so what, what I'm talking to you about this morning is a deeper understanding of what covenant really is. Now, covenant, uh, let me explain to you this because this is the way our society understands it. We understand contracts. 
When you, uh, even our marriages, from a legal sense, are contracts. That is not what God wants them to be. Your marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. Contracts are entered into on the basis of distrust. If we're in business together, I have to have a contract with you that spells out terms and conditions so we can protect ourselves from one another. Think about that. The only reason for having a contract is to have an understanding of exactly what the terms and conditions are of the contract so that what happens? If somebody doesn't keep the contract, we've got to regress. That's a contract. It's entered into on the basis of distrust. The very fact that we cannot trust each other requires us to have the contract. A covenant is completely different. A covenant is entered into on the basis of trust. When you enter into a covenant, you take on... Hey, Tommy. You see you sitting back there, brother. Um, you take on an inherent risk. Galen, when you married your lovely wife, who I didn't recognize a while ago, forgive me, Ann. Uh, when you married her... Um, you, you took her in a covenant relationship knowing that, you know, there might come a day where she goes off the rail and leaves you. That's a risk. But you took it gladly, didn't you? Paid off, didn't it? I mean, this is what I'm talking about. There's inherent risk. Well, so God, now think about this. Now, here I want to bring it home for just a minute. When God decided that he was going to make covenant, let's put ourselves in God's position for a moment. Here he has created man. He's lost man in the sense that uh, Adam and Eve sinned and separated themselves from God. So here's God. Now put yourself in his place for a moment. I've got to come up with a plan as God. Will you all let me be God for five minutes? I promise I'll relinquish it because I'm not as good as he is. But as I'm God, here's, I'm thinking I've got to come up with a plan that's foolproof to be able to provide salvation for Brian, healing, prosperity, and everything he needs. But if I make a covenant with Brian, he can't keep it. Bless his heart. He's a good guy. I love him. Good looking, isn't he? <laughs> but you know what? Brian doesn't have the power to keep that covenant. Because he and I are sons of Adam and we both fell with Adam. So there's a problem. And this is where the church comes into a problem in receiving from God. We cannot help ourselves. We believe in our hearts that it has something to do with us. I've got some responsibility in this covenant that allows it to work between me and God. Wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. God knew that a covenant based upon your performance would end in disaster. So he did something else. Wouldn't you like to know what he did? Because as soon as you understand what he really did, the days of you not being able to receive from God are over. You will no longer have to deal with poverty, which is a spiritual condition, not a physical condition. It's a mental condition. You no longer have to deal with poverty. You no longer have to deal with sickness, disease, or any other part of the curse. So, you know, I, that's sort of, that interests me. You say, well, who's interested in healing? Sick folks are. That's, what, that's who. Dying people. We own a hospice. We own a health care company that, that ministers to dying people. We have, close, we have 400 patients plus in our hospice. We have one goal, get them saved, get them healed. We're the only hospice in the world who wants our people to get up off the bed and go home. <laughs> I hire chaplains out of CBC and other places. We have 36 chaplains on, 
on staff. We train them. Listen, you don't know how intensely we train them to teach these people how to receive from God. And you're starting with people that are lost as a goose in a hailstorm. People that are nuttier and run over ducks. It takes a while to get the word in them. It takes a while to get them to the place where they can believe God. But you know what we teach them? We teach them to understand the covenant. Because God will only listen to you, church, if you speak to Him as a covenant man or a covenant woman. If you learn to speak to Him as a covenant man, He will hear you and He will respond. You say, what are you talking about? One time in Ezekiel, God actually told the children of Israel, He was so exasperated with them. He said to them, why don't you, I'll use Texas language, why don't you gird yourself up and act like a man? Why don't you come in here and make your case to me? Don't you understand we have a covenant together? Why can't you understand your part? Why can't you understand that all I'm requiring you to do is come and ask me and receive in faith? But the children of Israel were trying to perform for God. So you know what happens? Same thing happened to them, happens to the, to the church every day. We are caught trying to convince God to do something for us. Healing, prosperity, I need a husband, I need a wife, I need this, I need that. Did you know that God's more interested in you having those things than you are? He's sitting on the edge of his throne waiting to give you what you need. Church, we're the problem. Say, so? You're the problem. Let me tell you something. If you ever feel like you just got something dragging up the rear, it's your soul. Can I just tell you that? Your spirit man doesn't do that. Your soul drags up the rear. It is dumber than a bag of rocks. And it has to be renewed with the word of God, church, if we're going to learn to receive from the covenant. God's never done anything outside the covenant. He never will. All of his promises are inside it. So if they're inside it, we've got to go in there and figure out how do we respond in covenant to God. Now, turn to Genesis chapter 15. I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of time, so I've got to move through some scripture here. I want to give you this picture. The very essence of covenant, guys, is union and then communion. You first unite with God and then you commune. You, you have union with God and then you have communion with God. Right? That's, Jordan, that's what you and Nadine, look at that back there. You guys are, you're, you know what? You first have union and you're going to spend the rest of your lives communing with each other. And that's the very essence of covenant. It just gets a lot more fun after you're married. The communion gets a little better. That better be the way you're doing it anyway. All right. In Genesis chapter 15, I want you guys to look at this. I, I'm, and I may move, y'all forgive me if I talk fast. Y'all just listen fast, okay? Um, look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, did, did, did God say anything in that verse right there about maybe sometimes if the weather's nice, I'll be your shield and, you, and your reward's going to be great? Why is it never ambiguous with God, but it always is with us? Why is it that Abram is tempted to think, okay, God, you're my shield and my reward's going to be great, okay, but what's the catch? What do I have to do? And if you'll be honest in your heart, guys, that's what you and I think. 
We may say the right words. We may hear that. We may hear a message that gets us to think right for two days. But you know what the truth is? We have great difficulty in overcoming the problem of having to perform, having to do something to get what God has for us. Now, Abram says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, let me ask you a question. God didn't say, Abraham, if you do exactly what I tell you, you're going to have a son that will be your heir. He said, your son will be your heir. You know why? Because God was about to make a covenant with Abraham that was not dependent on Abraham. God didn't have to qualify this statement because Abraham might mess up. i got news for you. Abraham did mess up. Verse 3, and Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring. And so God basically is telling him, You're going to have an heir. His name's going to be Isaac. Verse 5, and he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Guys, listen, listen. God, and I don't have time. I wish I had time to do this. God also said to Abraham and Sarah, You shall be the father and mother of nations, plural. Kings, plural. Of peoples, plural, shall come out of you. You know what we've been taught? There's one nation called Israel. Not only is there a spiritual Israel, you and I are born again into the second covenant, there is a physical Israel that has promises to it that doesn't just include this 9 by 21 mile piece of land in the Middle East. How's that for blowing your mind for a second? Kings of peoples. And if we had about seven hours, I'd teach you where those nations are and who those people are. It's very plain. It's in the Word of God. And, and here you say, why, why, did you tell, why are you talking about that? Because I want to show you the incredible faithfulness of God to His Word. Not one jot or tittle of His Word will pass until it's all fulfilled. Now, how many of you knew this? You ever heard of uh, Thomas Paine during the American Revolution? Yes. Did you know that Thomas Paine was a devout Christian? godly man and before he died he denounced God cursed him and died cursing God you know why he did that because he would look at these scriptures that prophesied that the Jews would be like the stars of heaven and the popula their population would be like the sands of the sea and he couldn't see it he said God's a liar you know what's interesting about that he was one of them he was one of the sands of the sea and the stars that he couldn't number be careful here, here, here's why you need to approach the Word of God. If, you, if, if you're confused about whether you're right or God, just, just go ahead and admit God's right and be done with it. It'll save you a lot of time and a lot of anguish. All right. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteous. And he said to him, I am the Lord. And I just messed y'all up bad, haven't I? Put that, lay that kind of stuff out there. Well, well it, it, the reason I do it is because I want you to see how faithful God is. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now, Abraham is not asking a question in unbelief or doubt. This is one of the things he got right. He's simply asking God, hey, this sounds good to me. How are we going to do it, God? And God said, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these and cut them in half 
They laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Anybody know why he didn't cut the birds in half? Because we're about to make a covenant. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The sacrifice was the Son represented by the heifer, the lamb, and the, and the, the animals that were cut in half. The reason that the birds are not cut in half is because they represent the Holy Spirit who is not part of the sacrifice. So as you go through the... This is what becomes so important about understanding how a covenant is made. When I have time, if Shalise and Brian let me come back, I'll teach you the ten steps of covenant making that will blow your mind. How simple this really is and what God really did when he made this covenant. Now let's go ahead. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Excuse me, he's Abram at this time. How many of you know that Abram became Abraham? How many of you know that that's one of the steps of covenant making? When you take on God's name, he takes on yours. You ever heard of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Sure you have. Have you ever heard of Abraham? That ha is part of God's name. So that's what we're seeing. There's an exchange of names, which is part of the covenant-making process. All of a sudden, look what happens here. Abram asked God, show me how we're going to do this, and then he goes to sleep. Now, I can tell you this. God put him to sleep. Notice that a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Well, God is the one that fell it on him. I'll tell you why. Look, we'll, look, we'll see why. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain, he's doing this in his sleep, he's doing this in a dream, that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. That's a pretty good dream to have, isn't it? And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I, I could teach for two hours on that right there and understanding what that really means. When the sun had gone down and it was dark. Now everybody listen. When the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Now let me show you what happened. The pieces were split, not like this, like this. And they were laid opposite each other. And if you look, there's many scriptures in Jeremiah and other places where God said that the officials, the elders of Israel, had to walk a figure eight through the pieces. It's called the walk of death or the walk of blood. And when they would do that, that these, these pieces were laid apart from each other. The Bible says here that a smoking oven and a flaming torch passed between them. Not a man. Who do you, you think the flaming torch and the, and the, and the oven were? Jesus Christ, who is the messenger of the covenant. Jesus came and walked the pieces. Now, if I had time to teach you the ten steps of covenant, I'd show you all ten steps, and not Abraham didn't do one of them. He was asleep. It's good, Shalice. Resting while Jesus and the Father made a covenant. So guys, we're talking about you and I being part of a covenant that we don't have any part of. Yes. Why in the world would you approach God with your stuff, your righteousness, and say, God, but you know what? I've helped Shalice and Brian in the church. I've been, look, Galen, I can, Galen I've been in the world. Look, look how good of a worship leader I am. He is good, by the way. Yeah. Well, look how good I am, God. I've really worked hard to, to serve you and honor you. And don't tell me y'all are not tempted to do this. God, I, I give, I tithe. I'll help any old lady across the street. Just show me, show me where she's at. We bring our stuff to God 
and try to exchange it for what the promises of the covenant are. You couldn't have missed it any worse. You don't bring your stuff to God, you bring Jesus' stuff to God. And when you bring Jesus, when you approach God as a man of covenant, let me tell you, guys, now you're going to think I'm arrogant when I first say this. You can ask me, this is the way we operate. The devil comes and tries to do it. Listen, I failed. I failed many times. You'll learn more from my failures I get time to tell you about them than you ever will my successes. But I'm telling you what, I'm a covenant man. I come before the throne of God in time of need. Hebrews. And here's what I do. God, I am a covenant man. You are a covenant God. You are bound by that covenant to heal my body. As a matter of fact, God, you've already done it. And I just want to thank you for that. And I approach your throne of grace in my time of need knowing that I've already received what I've come to ask for. Knowing that you already know what I've come to ask for. But you know what, God? This is just our chance to have a relationship. Listen to me, church. You want to know why formulas don't work? Anybody ever tell you, if you want to get healed, you know, well, let me use the Bible. Jesus used uh, spitballs to heal blind men. I can just see it. Today we'd have the one spit club, the two spit club, and the three spit club. So we come up with formulas. Okay, well, you know what? If you'll have the elders pray for you and sister so-and-so pour oil over your head, now if the Holy Spirit spoke that to you, do it. But even, give me how, many, give me how, how many times that ever really works? Once. God rarely heals people the same way. You want me to tell you why that is? Because here's the reason for me. This is, listen, this is refrigerator stuff. You need to hang this on your refrigerator. God doesn't allow formulas to work in his word because it bypasses relationship with you, which he is absolutely opposed to. God will not give up a relationship with you to make some goofy formula work. He wants to look you in the eye, Fred. He wants to look you in the eye because he created you and he loves you and you are, you are unique. You are godly. You are righteous. When he looks at you, you know what he sees? Jesus. So when he's looking at her and she needs something, absolute love and compassion just flows out to God. And you'll be tell you the only thing that can stop it? Her. You know how she can stop it? God, thank you for healing me. Because God, I really have tried. Haven't I done a lot better lately? over with right there and you know what I am totally convinced that the Holy Spirit is so grieved at that moment because healing did not go ahead and flow guys I, listen I have I don't have look, this is stuff running around in me I wish I had time to do this I have experienced the Holy Spirit comforting me when I got it right he was so excited that I got over my dumb goofy ideas in my ignorance he was so excited he comforted me I can give you a testimony of me driving down the freeway in Dallas, Texas in my car and God comforting me over a situation in my life and, saying, and my students have heard that that testimony and, it, and that's what it, it just dawned it finally clicked oh God this, so this is what you want this is what I've always wanted I don't want to see anything but Jesus when he looks at you that's all he sees why, when you look in the mirror, do you see something else?
Lord had said to Abram, no, this is verse 13, know for certain that all these things are going to happen. Now look at with me down in uh, verse 14, or 17. Put your glasses on. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, this smoking fire and a flaming torch passed. And on that day, look at this, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the river of the great Euphrates. Not maybe or sometimes, or if you get this right. The Hittites, the Perizzites, all the other ites, and all the other Raphims, and Okay, now go with me because of time's sake, guys. I want you to go. Go to 2 Samuel. And I want to show you a picture that's going to blow your mind. Except for my students, they've already seen it. Well, part of it. Okay, go to 2 Samuel chapter 4 and go to verse 4 with me. Now, uh, if I were teaching this normally, I would go through about three, two to three hours of teaching about the covenant of David and Jonathan. Because it is the... How many, of you, how many of you understand types and shadows? Did you know that God wrote these things before time as types and shadows of the things that were to come? So when we see these... God's not trying to necessarily make David and Jonathan famous. He's trying to show us something. He's trying to give us a type and a shadow and a picture. So the Bible says that David and Jonathan loved each other as they loved themselves. Their covenant was real. Their love was real. And Jonathan proved that by going against his own father. And so we see this covenant. Now, <clears throat> I want you to think with me for a moment. Everything I've just said to you about covenant relationship, God and Jesus, well, just wait like I could teach you about the weak. Guys, you want something that will just, I'm telling you, you'll be running out among the cars. It's so good. If I could show you the week where Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on the back of that donkey and how, how, what the types and shadows of the Old Testament show us about that and what Jesus really did. Not what we think he did, not what our religions have told us he did, not what the Catholic and the Episcopal and the Baptist and all the other great churches have been, not what they think, but what Jesus was really doing when he did that. Because it's all covenant. So here's the bottom line. Jesus... The, the Father and the Holy Spirit made a covenant for us. Did, is there anybody here who hung on the cross with Jesus? Nobody else paid that price. He was the sacrifice. They made that covenant for us. Now, look at verse 4. Here's a strange verse for you. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was what? Crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. Anybody know what that news was? They were dead. They had been killed. Or actually killed, killed themselves. And his nurse took him up and fled. And she fled in her haste. He fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, <clears throat> get this picture. And I'm, 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 I'm trying to do this quick. What time is it, by the way? 11.40? Wow. Okay, I'll do this quick. Um... Saul is the king of Israel, correct? Jonathan is his son. A picture, if you will, of Jesus and the Father. Now, Jonathan had a covenant with David. And this scripture tells us that Jonathan had a son who was crippled in both of his feet. The reason he's crippled is because when the news came of, of Saul and Jonathan's death... She grabs him up and flees. Now, does anybody have any idea why she would grab him up and flee? 
Why would the news of their death motivate her to run out of the palace with Mephibosheth, fall on him, and break both of his legs? Because they would, they would instantly be killed. David would now be the king because he was anointed by Samuel to be king, and everybody knew it. Everybody knew David was going to be the next king. And let, let, let me, let's crawl inside their lives for a moment. Saul would tell his house, the day ever comes, and you hear me dying, and David's killed me. That's what he always thought was going to happen. David was going to murder him. David had 14 chances to murder him and never did. Let's get a clue. But he said, when David kills me, you're dead. You better get up and flee out of this house because you're dead. That was the protocol at that time. When a king was deposed or died, there was a power move and their families, were they would try to wipe their entire families out so there were no heirs. That's what would have happened. And Saul would have been right in any other situation except with David. Now, so here we are. Mephibosheth, you know what the word Mephibosheth means? Despised thing. Who would name their child despised thing? See, I have a feeling that the name Mephibosheth came to be known as despised thing. Surely his mother didn't name him despised thing. If she did, she needs to be talked to. However, Mephibosheth is, it is a correct description of his life. He was lame in both his feet, and he spent his life in hiding and fear. Now, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 9 with me. <clears throat> Started with the first verse. Now, I'm, I'm fast forward. Y'all know I'm doing this quick. Y'all be mad if you knew what I was leaving out. Um, here we are, years later, and David is now sitting on the throne. All of his enemies have been subdued. Saul and Jonathan are long since dead. And David is sitting on his throne thinking. And I believe because the king was anointed with the Holy Ghost. Y'all understand that kings and priests experienced what you and I do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nobody else did, but they did. How many of you knew that? The normal, everyday Israelite was not baptized in the Holy Ghost then, but he was. So the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to David, and, and here's what he prompts David to do. Look at verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Wow. David finds it necessary to ask the question, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for whose sake? Jonathan's. Why Jonathan? Because of his covenant with him. Now, Saul, the house of Saul, had long since been dispersed. And let me tell you where Mephibosheth was. Mephibosheth had been taken by Ziba, who was a servant of Saul and Jonathan, and he was taken to a place uh, out in the wilderness, which we're, we'll read here in just a moment, and that's where he was hidden from David all of his life. Know this, that his, the very purpose for them taking him there, it was an old hunting lodge of the Israeli kings. Saul establishes a hunting lodge. And so that's where they were, hiding from David. Now, what, look at this, verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Now let me stop right here. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. 
The word is translated kindness there. Actually, would be better translated loving kindness. It's the Hebrew Chaldee word hasid. It's the Greek word for grace. Anybody know what the Greek word for grace is? Charis. Let me start, I want you to get what I'm about to say. The only permissible attitude in covenant is loving kindness. This is my lovely wife. Y'all already saw her. There's only one in God's heart and mind, there's only one legal, permissible attitude that I can ever have to her no matter what she does. You got it? Loving kindness. You said, don't give me that. If she left you tomorrow and ran off with another man, you wouldn't have, yes, I would. Stand and watch me. I've done this, but not with her. <laughs> Thank you, God. She's never done that to me. But I have taught other men and stood with them for their wives in loving kindness who have done this exact thing. I have already made up my mind that if she were to ever do anything like that, I'm going to love her and God will give her back to me. I'm not going to lay down for that. That's not who I am. I'm a covenant man. I'm not some weakling that don't have the power of God in my life. Well, well so yeah, she ran, so she ran off the road. You, you want me to do this the other way next time, baby? Because this does not fit you. She is the most faithful, gracious, loving woman you ever met. But if that changed tomorrow, guys, I'm telling you, you just find me. I will be standing with a smile on my face talking to you about how, how wonderful it's going to be when my wife comes back. And I'll do that until my last breath. Because I'm a covenant man. I'm not dependent upon this world, Satan's tricks, she is a woman. She has weaknesses. She has the sin nature which can manifest at any time. And God says to me as a covenant man, I want you to do with your wife exactly what I do with her. Love her. God says, I'm never going to get angry at Patsy and scream and holler at her and tell her what a horrible human being she is. Make her life miserable. Don't bless her. Don't serve her. Well, if God's not going to do that, how are you going to do that? I'm just telling you guys, we don't have a clue what power it gives us to be covenant people. The world is the one who have to, who have to, uh, to protect themselves from each other and hate one another. I don't have to do that. I get the easy part. It's called loving. Loving kindness is the only permissible attitude. And it is the only permissible attitude that David had in his covenant. Listen to what he says. That I may show them loving kindness for Jonathan's sake. Notice what he didn't say. That I may show Mephibosheth loving kindness for his own little sake. He didn't do that. He did it for Jonathan's sake. Because there's where the power of the ability to love Mephibosheth came from. Did you know that the only ability I have to love my wife is through the covenant I have with Jesus? Everything else, guys, is phony, fake, false, not worth the time of day. Even if it looks good. Even if I'm a good actor and can pull it off with you for two weeks, I'm telling you, if I don't have the power of God in my life, it will fail and you will see the truth in me. And that's what happens to all of us every day. When we don't understand how we can stand in covenant. Church, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you as your brother, stand until the limb breaks. 
Because God will catch you that far off the ground right there. I have had so many crises in my life where God saved my ignorant rear end. I don't mean this arrogant. God knows my heart. He knows I don't mean this arrogant. Bring it on. The devil wants to try to take my, he's tried to take my company so many times, it's getting silly. What do you got today, devil? And I've trained my people to stand against him. I spent this morning, at 2 o'clock this morning, I have a text right here from a young man that he's, he is, if I've got a covenant son, is that him, honey? He sent me a text at 2 o'clock in the morning. He says, Papa, everybody in the world calls me Papa. He said, Papa, also calls me Great Father. He did call, this was a Great Father text, wasn't it? He said, Great Father, this is a woman that we all love very dearly. Has had an infection in her colon. Just this all happened within the last day. The, the infection got in her blood. She went into a coma. They've got her on dialysis and ventilator. She's a godly woman. And I'm telling you, he is a covenant man. God, you ought to see this text. He's mad. He said, great father, will you fight with me with this? I said, bring it on. Let's do it. So he and I, we've got texts back and forth right here where we prayed for her. As soon as I get home, I'll get to her. She's a woman that Patsy and I have known for years and years. She's loved us. She just served us, blessed us. I'm not going to have it. Baloney. But if you, if you teach people how to, how to operate in covenant, they'll send you texts at 2 o'clock in the morning initiating fights with the devil. Because guys, I, look, I'm not arrogant. I don't, look, I don't poke the devil in the eye. I know who I am. But if he wants to bring it on, let him bring it on. Because I've got a covenant right here that took care of him 2,000 years ago. He's done. He's finished. I read the back of the book. He loses. It's over with for him. So why do you want to spend your days acting like it's over with for you? When he tells you it's over with, look him right back in the eye and say, bud, you got that wrong. You need to look in the mirror because it's over with for you. you got a bleak future, son. You want to hear about my future? I'm going to spend eternity with my God on the streets of gold with my brothers and sisters. We're going to rejoice and praise God forever. A position, by the way, you gave up. And we will forever be with our God and love Him and He will bless us. And you're going to be in the fires of hell, chained to the pit. Tell Him the truth, church. Why do you, instead of agreeing with Him about how lousy you are. Now, let me tell you what I do when the devil does Because He does this to me for occasion. He'll come by and He'll, you know, you, know, you really messed up. You really did this. You know what I do with him? I agree with him while he's in the way with me. Yeah, devil, you're right. I did that. But I don't come to you in my name. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Tell me what he did. Did he do anything wrong? There's the power of my life. I'm not, talk, I'm not here, devil, to talk to you about what I did. You and I both know it's, it's sin. It was garbage. I'm here, but let me talk to you about Jesus. Listen, it messes with his mind. He leaves. He can't handle it. So, church, can I tell you this one? The, the devil used to tempt me right here. You know how he tempts me today? About 50 yards over there, and I have to abstain to hear what he's saying. And it takes a covenant man to get to that place where you know that you know that you know this is about Jesus, not about you. Now, I've got to finish this. All right. 
And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul? And Ziba said to the king, There's a still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled at his feet. And he said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar is this wilderness lodge where the kings of Israel went to hunt, and it's out in the wilderness. Notice where it's at. Where is it? Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, the Lord. Now let me tell you something. When the king fetches you, you have King James Version that said David fetched him. Let me tell you something. When the king fetches you, you've been fetched. This wasn't one Ziba servant showing up on a donkey with a little dust trail behind him. This was the king's chariots and men and army. Can you, can, can I, I'm going to take a little license here with the word. Can you imagine you being Mephibosheth and you're looking through the window and there's this huge cloud of dust on the horizon? And your servants come in and say, it's the king's men. And you know what you want know Mephibosheth's thinking? Oh my God, he's found me. Oh dear Lord, it's over with. Here I am, about 38 years old. He said, I'm a dead man. All the fear that he'd been living in, everything that he'd ever been told by Saul, everything that he believed was coming to pass. So let me ask you a question. If this was your experience, would you not, be, would you not think then that you're right? That all the experiences you'd had and all the times that Saul and his house had told you to fear and all the fear that had been, that had been forced into you all these years to be afraid of King David, all these, now you're seeing the, the, the reality of it. You, well, all these things were true. Is that the way it looks? How many of you know that it's not even close to the truth? See, when you get to this place in your life where you're... Let me tell you, the number, the number, one of the biggest problems that Christians have is allowing their experience to have authority over them. Well, that's what happened to me the last time. That's what happened to so-and-so. Surely that's what's going to happen to me. Wrong. Your experience has no right to have authority. You have a covenant that cancels out the authority of your experience. But if you choose to believe it, then it will be reality to you. And you will suffer needlessly. Here's, here's Mephibosheth suffering needlessly. Watch what happens. <clears throat> And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. Now why would David tell him not to fear? How many times in the Word of God does God tell us not to fear? I feel sorry for God the amount of times he's had to say that. Do not fear. Only non-covenant people fear. Do not fear, for I will show you what? Kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore you to all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Well, oh, stop. All of his experience, everything he's ever been taught, everything he's ever heard, and all of a sudden, this? What? So how does Mephibosheth respond? He rejoices and begins to praise and worship, and is that what he does? He said, he paid homage again. He said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? He's prostrate in front of David, crying out. He didn't even hear it. David, what, don't you understand, David? I'm a dead dog. Why would you even regard me? Not only did David restore all that belonged. Listen, David had held in trust 
all these years, all the land and possessions of Saul. And now he's about to give them to Mephibosheth, his heir. And oh, by the way, you're not going to need any of that stuff, Mephibosheth, because you're going to eat at my table always. You want a picture of God about your prosperity? You want a picture of what's in God's heart about what you ought to have? You ought to have so much, you can't even use it. And then, that's why you can give it away. Because you're getting everything you need from God. Church, when, when, when the scripture talks about more than enough, it means more than enough. It's not wasteful to have more than enough, unless you waste it. I'll tell you something, the best fun I have in my life is giving. Dear God, just give it away. I mean, just have a ball. It's one of the greatest things I'll enjoy. It? It's one of the greatest things we enjoy about having wealth. I'm not ashamed to tell you we're wealthy. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to be arrogant. God did it. I didn't have nothing to do with it. I showed up and obeyed him. He said, do this, I did that. Guess where he got me? And money's just, money's the least thing in the kingdom of God. Gave it doesn't mean anything. It's a way to keep score. It's a way I can help you and bless you. But God says to me, son, I'm, I'm going to give you all. He has, good Lord. He, well, I mean, sometimes Patsy and I, we have this kind of a thing we do together where we sit up in the bed sometimes and count our blessings. You ever do that? And by the time we get, we're already bawling by the time we get through the kids, the grandkids. And, we, and, and at wealth and these things are way down here. We, we, we want to talk about the giving we did this year. We were able to do this and this and this and this and this. And you know what it got, so folks, listen to me. How many of you know they had a recession since 2009? You want to hear that, you want to hear, I've been in business for almost 30 years. You want to hear the record years of profit? 2009, 2010 beat 2009, 2011 beat 2010, and 2012 beat 2011. And so our ability to give only gets greater. You've got to, you've got to walk in covenant with God to see that. You can't remind God that there's a recession going on. Because I can tell you what he's going to tell you exactly what he told me. Fine, son, just don't participate in it. My God, my covenant God's in charge of the economy. He has an economy that the world know not, they don't know a thing about. They couldn't operate in it if they had to because their principles don't work in it. Let me come teach you what I teach the business class. There's where you'll learn how to operate in the economy of God and be forever free from the world. Isn't that right, Tommy? We can be free from that. I don't want to see you free from I'm sick and tired of the church being, their teeth being kicked in financially. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with it. It's horrible. Everybody in this room should, I'm not talking about million dollars in the bank. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not amounts. It's your heart to give when God says to give with what you have. Let it be according to what a man has, not according to what he don't have. You don't need to be given according to what I have. The reward for you and the blessing for you is just as great if you give according to what you have. It's you trying to give according to what somebody else has gets you in trouble. God's He's such a fair, wonderful God. He just, he's just a great guy. You ought to know him. You ought to talk about him every chance you get. All right, I got to go. I know I'm, I'm, I'm probably already late. Uh, so then the king called Ziba. Saul's servant, verse 9, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. 
And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. How many of you ask you guys a question? You ever send angels out to do some work for you? Good girl. I'm serious. That's what Zeba and these servants represent. The, they represent the ministers of God. Does your Bible say in Hebrews that the angels of God should be ministers for those who are heirs of salvation? Is that you? How many of you are using it? I've sent angels out to clear the way for business transactions. I've sent angels, I've stationed angels on the four corners of automobiles because the Holy Ghost spoke to me that that car's going to have a wreck if you don't do something. My own child at that time. I can give you testimony after testimony. You need to know the covenant and you need to know how to use the covenant. You need to know how to walk in the covenant. You ought to speak the covenant. Everything about you ought to be covenant, covenant, covenant. Because at the, at the very moment that you depart from the covenant, you reenter the world and you get the devil's words, you get his thoughts, you get fear, you get doubt, you get unbelief. My mother was healed of cancer just three years ago. Baseball-sized tumor in her stomach. It was over with, guys. She called me on a Friday afternoon and she said, Son, I just came from the doctor. I'm going to tell you one time what his report was. I never want to hear it again. Whose report shall you believe? And she said, I've been praying, and the Holy Spirit told me to call you, Greg, and two other elders, and have you come and pray for me. And she said, now this weekend, I want you all to stay out of my house. And I'm not coming to church. See, if you knew my mom, I'm, not, I'm really doing a good mom here. She said, I'm not coming to church Sunday. She said, the doubt and unbelief will kill my healing. Now, you know what she meant? Sweet people that loved her, that mean well, they're intense, but they'll come and they'll spew doubt and unbelief all over you. And she did. Monday morning, my wife and I took her to the hospital to be scoped so that they could see if the tumor was operable, which they'd already told us it was not. This doctor comes in. He says, we'll be there about 45 minutes. They take her off. I, I wanted to tell Tom, this doctor, I said, Tom, here, you don't know what you're getting into. And I, and I actually I said, don't say nothing about don't anything negative. He said, well, I tell my patients the truth. I said, go ahead. She'll spit in your face. You know what she did? They took her back there and what, honey, 10 minutes? Was it ever been a 10 minutes? He comes back through that door and he just does this at me and Patsy. They were friends. He knows us. He does this. We go back in this little room. He's, he's, he believes in Eastern philosophies. Whatever that means. And we've been trying to get him saved for years. One, another doctor who's an elder in our church is my, one of my best friends in the world. And we've, been, we've been working on this guy for years. And then the, another friend who's a doctor who's born again, spirit-filled, all of them. Been, and he's this big Buddhist. He's, he does this mixture. He, did, he wasn't satisfied with just Buddhism. He mixes Hinduism. and all, you know, he, he, There's a cocktail of Eastern philosophies. And don't get me wrong, I love Tom. I really do. He's a, he's, a, he's a compassionate man. He loves people. Bless his heart. He's just nuttier than a run over duck. So he calls, and we go in, and we sit, and there's this little table there, and Pat's down here against the table. He said, he looks at us, and he said, look, I don't know what happened. I'm not sure I care what happened. I don't have an answer for it. Don't ask me why. The only thing I can tell you is that Jeff Alling missed it. They missed it. They missed the diagnosis. The, the, everything they're telling me is wrong. He was mad, wasn't he, honey? He actually was mad. I said, well, what, what, Tom? He said, the, this is his words, guys. The flesh in her stomach is like a baby's flesh. It's pink. 
He said, you don't see pink flesh in an 80-year-old woman's stomach. <laughs> we left there, and I went, I went and, and, and called Jeff. I mean, I got to Jeff as quick as I could, this other doctor. I said, Jeff, Tom's mad at you. I told him what happened. And it, he said, he's already called. I said, what? I just left. He said he went right straight back to the back and called Jeff. He said, Jeff, what are you doing sending me a perfectly healthy woman? Just chewed Jeff up one side and the other. And then Jeff told him, said, Tom, you need to stop talking for a minute. You're looking at the same x-rays I'm looking at. You tell me she's got a tumor in her stomach. Well, then tell me what happened, Jeff. And Jeff said, you know what we did, Tom? We believed God and we prayed for her and Jesus healed her. And Jeff said there was dead silence on the other end of the phone. And finally, Tom says, well, you know what, Jeff? You guys just need to come over and pray for me because I don't understand none of this. <laughs> That's good. All right, I got to go here. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord, the verse 11, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in, in uh, Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now, uh, excuse me for a moment. Now listen, he was lame in both his feet. What? <laughs> What's this? Guys, this is a picture of the covenant that I've been talking to you about all morning. Mephibosheth is me and you. He represents you and I. Lame in both our feet. Ravaged by sin and the sin nature. Now, go back with me for just a moment to verse 1. And I want to reread a scripture and I'm going to insert some words. Go with me. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Right? Is that what your Bible says? Now let me substitute some things. And God the Father said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Adam that I may show him kindness for Jesus' sake? Uh-oh. <laughs> you see, David's God the Father. Jonathan represents Jesus. You and I are Mephibosheth, laving both our feet. You know what's interesting about that last scripture? See, as soon as Mephibosheth pulls up to the table of God, you can't even see his lame feet. He sat at the table as one of the king's sons, and he ate continually. And church, I'm here this morning to tell you <clears throat> that God is sick and tired, and you should be sick and tired of not being up at the table where nobody can see your lame feet, who nobody, there's not one of us who cares about your lame feet. Because we've all got them. Get used to it. Sick of not being at the table. Don't have your servants out there bringing in all the resources that God has given you while you're sitting at the table of God. Can I ask you a question because I love you, not because I want you mad at me? How many of you are living that? Are you living with the servants of God bringing everything you need into your life, but yet you're still sitting at the table every day eating continually and having a relationship eyeball to eyeball with the king? Every day. 
see, one of the things that draws me to this house, it draws me to Brian and Shalice, is I perceive people who have an eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball relationship with God. Only folks I really want to spend time with. I'm not being ugly. I love you if you don't have that. I want to talk. Because when I talk to people who have that kind of relationship with God, I learn something. I get blessed. Now, guys, this morning, I believe that not one person in this room should walk out of this place without being understanding your full place in the covenant. Do you know who you are now? Listen, it ought to bring you peace that you don't ever have to worry about your own performance again. Guys, every time we have to get our performance involved, doesn't it just make you sick at your stomach? You know it's garbage. You know your, your own righteousnesses are as filthy rags. God don't have to tell you that. We know that. We intuitively know that. I don't bring my filthy rags to God anymore. He's not interested in them. I found that out the hard way, but it's true. I bring Jesus. And you know every time I bring Jesus, he just has the biggest smile on his face. He says, son, you got it right again. I'm going to move. And listen, guys. Please, I would never bring I would never bring a spirit of arrogance or I'm not I'm bragging on God. If I had the ability to recount to you in the last 40 years the not only the quantity but the measure and the quality of the blessings of the rewards of the love of the relationships the re that God has poured into patches of my life. I mean, guys, if anybody was ever going to feel guilty, you're looking at him. I have no illusion about the fact I don't deserve any of it. But Jesus deserves all of it. And so I walk every day knowing that I get to be in on this wonderful covenant that God loves me for whatever reason. The only reason let me tell you something. You decide this today and you're going to change the rest of your life. The only reason you have value at all, you ready for this? The only reason you have value at all, smidgen of value is because God loves you. Yes. It's the only thing that makes you important. So you know what the greatest thing I can tell you about me this morning is? Y'all ready for it? God loves me. <laughs> Got a picture of me right on his mantle. You ever heard Andrew say that? Carries a, pick, carries a wallet, one in his wallet, and got one up on the mantle. Talks about me every day. Every time the devil comes around, to, God says, have you considered my servant Paul? <laughs> you know, go, go ahead, Dave, get you, go get your teeth kicked in another time. I'm not bragging on us, guys. I'm telling you this is the way God wants us to live. This is not some pie in the sky, wait for it in eternity. Oh, it's, you know, I mean, I grew up at a time when that's the songs we used to sing. Dear God, I'm just a, I'm just a weary pilgrim making it through. My back hurts. <laughs> Be glad when this life is over. Not over, or. Remember that? You guys got a little gray in your hair? We could spout out more doubt and unbelief in a church service than you could in a year. 
I grew up in a denominational church that barely had the faith to blow her nose. I mean, you grew up in a church like I did. It's, I mean, I don't know what kept us going. You got to get excited about something. So you know what they do? They just count everything that moves. Nickels, numbers, and noses. You got to get excited about something keep people coming to church. Nobody's getting healed, saved, delivered. None of that's going on. So you just count everything that moves. The dog in the front yard, the kids in the nursery, and you give a report about it every Sunday. You get something up in the pulpit talking about how many people we had this Sunday. And then you compare it to a year ago. I never have figured out what that has to do with anything. Because it always, every time I'd look at it, it was always less this year than it was last year. How, how does that help us? Y'all with me? Look, guys, I, got, I, I know I'm done. I, I've taken up too much time. I want you. I came here to try to communicate to you, to give you a little bit of what God has given us and put in our heart about how to walk this thing out, guys. I mean, I'm over the days of us Christianizing each other to death. Saying the right words, love, patting each other on the back, walking out of the church, getting in the car, cursing your wife. Over it. It's just, when are we going to be done with it? And because of this covenant now, guys, you and I have the power. By the way, and this is the bonus that I'm through. You know what the bonus is on top of all this? The covenant has this little promise in it that gives you the power to actually perform it. Isn't that a surprise? I've been sitting here talking about what you do because you can't perform it. Now I'm here to tell you that the covenant supplies the power for you to perform it. And if you try to perform it in any other way, you'll fail. You allow Jesus to do it through you, his way, his words, his walk. Just wait on him. So how do you do that? You know what I do? You know, just in a practical sense, you know what I do? I just make myself available to God. Something happens. You know, I've been in meetings with lawyers. and I'm a big, big corporation. You know, these big decisions have to be made. I've been sitting here with a lawyer in Dallas, Texas. And, it, and the problem has to have some, it is going to have to take some wisdom to get us through this. And he's sitting there giving me his worst case analysis, and I can no more hear him than a man in the moon. And I'm paying him to talk to me. But I'm actually sitting there praying in the Spirit, listening to the Holy Ghost. And that's the way I, spend, I have spent, I'm not telling you I don't listen to those guys. I do. But they are one voice, and what I have to do is, I have to eat the fish and spit out the bones. And then I have to go to God for the final word. And that's the way you need to live your life, guys. Understanding that your brother or sister sitting beside you is going to give you some bones with a fish. Just be happy. that Just love them anyway. They're worth loving. They're going to throw a few bones at you. There's no reason to get mad and curse them and go off on a tangent. So what I've learned to do is I'll take all the fish I can get from you, but I'm going to go to God. And this is where those decisions are made. I have a whole teaching called How to Make Good Decisions. It'll change your life forever. I don't have a teaching that won't change your life. It's really, it's really, you've heard it, haven't you, girl? It's good. It teaches you how to do these things on a practical. How many of you are weary of being told what to do without being told how to do it? See, that's where the church is. I mean, some, and I love them. Some of our greatest ministers in the body and in the kingdom stand up here and tell you what you need to do, coming and going, but I don't ever hear how to do it. I don't ever hear the practical, how do you walk this out stuff. That's what my whole third-year business program is about. How do you walk this out? 
How do you do this, not sit around and talk about it for 40 years? My, my students will tell you that dreams are wonderful, visions are wonderful, but dreams without actions are fantasies. I had a man come to North Carolina, I was ministering out there, and he came to me, and he told me this story about this great dream vision he had, and I said, it's great, brother, just go do it. I'll pray for you if I can help you. You know, he's a member of a friend of mine's church there. Four years later, I was back there. He came back, told me the same story. I said, oh, I stopped him halfway through. I said, oh, I've already heard this. Now, I don't mean to be ugly. It's just we don't have a lot of time here. I said, brother, let me ask you a question. That's the same story you told me four years ago. What have you done? Well, I've been waiting on God. I said, I've got news for you. He's been waiting on you. You better do something. Like my dad used to tell me, son, do something if it's wrong. We can correct it on the fly. I mean, he taught me that trying to teach me how to plant zucchini in a garden. And I'm standing there looking at him like a dummy. He says, son, do something even if it's wrong. Dear God, we'll correct it later. And my dad, he don't know what he gave me. He, all my life he taught me to take action. And it has made the difference in my life. I built a multi-million dollar, several multi-million dollar corporations because I'd take action while everybody else was sitting around massaging it with their words. And you'll do the same thing. I didn't come here to be a, you know, a motivational speaker, but I want to motivate you. I want to motivate you to walk in this covenant. All right? All right, let's, I, I'm through. I think. I, I admit I'm, I'm terrible, guys. I, this, this is a train I can't ever get off of. There's never a stop. I don't ever see the stop. Other people talk about their stops that come by. I'll never see them. I don't know where they're at. Um, can I pray for you? And here's what I want to do. If you'll say in your heart with me this morning, you know what? I don't think I've fully walked in this picture you painted this morning. I don't think I... You know, I've got part of it down. I've got pieces of it, and I've heard that, and I've heard this. And I know you guys have probably heard everything I said up here this morning. That's not what I was after. I wasn't up here to tell you something new. I'd rather you've heard it before. What I want you to do is I want you to come up here with me if, if this is you, and you'll say to me in your heart, <clears throat> I'm making a new commitment this morning in my heart with you to agree with you that I'm going to be a covenant man. I'm going to be a covenant woman. And that I'm going to train my soul to live and walk in this covenant. Guys, you know what? Now, come on. You know what? You know what? Listen. You're not going to get it all right this week. You're not going to make every decision right. Why do you suffer over the bad decisions? How many of you understand that this is not about us doing this this morning and you starting tomorrow morning, you got it all right. If you think that, then you missed everything I just said. I want you to leave here and I want you to take action on what God's called you to do. Do you know if there's enough potential in this room? There's enough dreams in this room to transform the world. Dear God, this place is so pregnant with vision and dreams. Every time I come in here, I get the trembles. It's not about us having lack of vision or dreams. We're not walking it out. We're not taking action. We're not willing to fail. We're not willing to take the risk. And I'm telling you, God will be there. When you listen, it's all right to fail, church. Just fail forward. And get up and go on. 
And quit letting the devil stop you. Yeah, I know you've been kicked in the teeth. And yes, I know God spoke some things to you and you were so sure of them and they didn't happen. But you know what you did? You became timid. Or you got mad at God. You said, I don't know what I'm missing, but I don't have what it takes. Every one of those is a lie. You got more than enough and you got exactly what it takes. Especially you do. I'm telling you, girl, you got, I don't have a clue who you are. But you know what? There is a quiet strength about your spirit that I'm going to listen to me. I'm not mean this. That kind of spirit, I've seen it over and over again. It's very kin to a, to a, a spirit like Nathaniel had. And God's saying to me, there's no guile in you. And because there's no guile in you, he's going to take that quiet. It's not meek. It's not timid. It's quiet and it's strong. And he's going to take that spirit and begin to open doors up for you. Is this your husband? Soon to be? We well, ought to be if he's not. Uh, this, this guy, he pleases God. I don't know a thing about you. Have I met you before? That's where I've seen you in school. Uh, let me tell you what the Lord's saying. <clears throat> he just enjoy, he enjoys time with you. You're just a lot of fun. You're just a ball, you're just a ball of fun. Is he that much fun? Is he that much fun or am I exaggerating? God says he's going to use you to, to alleviate misery wherever you go. To take the sufferings of people and take, to, take the, to take ashes and to turn those things into a beautiful thing in people's lives. That's, that's the anointing you've got. You've got a gift and an ability to do that. And her quiet, strong spirit... God, God's putting a team together, guys, and I'm telling you, you guys are, you just don't know what God's got in store. If you walk this out, you're going to see it. God's going to start to open doors. He's going to bring resources, connections, relationships. All these things are going to show up. You're not going to understand why they showed up or how they showed up, but God is beginning it today, and you guys coming together is a huge part of that. Okay? If y'all prayed about that, you know that's, that's what God's supposed, you're supposed to do? Okay, do it. All right? And then, and then allow God to, to, listen, your strength from this day forward is as one, not two. So this, what happens then is, is God multi, it's not, it's not an addition, one, two. It's, it becomes exponential. And God causes your, the, the fact that you guys are coming together, he uses that as a, as a reason to exaggerate or accelerate his power. That's what's going to happen in you guys' lives. You, you have an excellent spirit. What's your name? Lord, it's, it's just really, really pleases God. Okay, can I just tell you that? It really does please God. Now, do you think I think you've never made a mistake in your life or done anything wrong? See, you didn't hear that in what I said, did you? You've been goofy like the rest of us. <laughs> but you're a good woman because you're righteous before God, and when he looks at you, he sees Jesus, and that's all he sees. And that part of you is what I'm describing. I'm not describing your flesh or any of the mistakes you've ever made. Okay. And guys, we get used to hearing the covenant presented the right way. See, because we get we throw these words out here all the time, and people leave thinking it has something to do with the mistakes they've made in the past. Or you understand, I'm not talking about any of those things. Who cares? Can I just tell you that your sins never knocked God off the throne one time? It's not shocking to Him. It shocks some people, but not God. All right. I want to pray for you. I want you to agree with me from this day forward. We're walking out of this place, and we're going to take action as covenant men and women, and we're going to change everything around us. 
Everything around you is about to change. Your family, your children, everything that God has you associated with, that you touch, your, your people you work with. You do understand, church, listen, you do understand that the only thing in this life that matters is people. Everything else is window dressing. So what you do impacts people's lives. It's like I tell my guys, they, we, we do a big planning process in our corporations every year. And my people know, you never bring me an idea that doesn't bless or serve people. I'll throw it out before it ever gets started. You either bless and serve people or you find something else to do. All right, y'all lift your hand, one hand toward heaven, where your help comes from, because it's about to come. Father, in Jesus' name. I pray for all your people, myself included. Father, I pray for us today. And Father, I say, I declare before you as a covenant man. Father, we thank you for this wonderful, marvelous covenant that you've put us into. And Father, I thank you that it is all dependent upon your power and your grace. And Father, it's it's such a blessing how your loving kindness flows out to us every day. So Father, today we commit ourselves to no longer be timid, to no longer, Father, to shy away, no longer, Father, to be arrogant, to be proud. Father, none of these things are going to rule our lives, but, Father, we are going to wait on you, and we're going to take action when you speak, and we're never going to apologize for any action we take in this covenant because you've spoken to us, and you've commanded us, and, Father, we move in power. And Father, every day, every action, every word, our intention is to glorify you in this covenant. Thank you, Father, for your your just matchless love and grace in our lives. Bless these people. Bless them, Father, for just taking the time to come here this morning to hear from you. Bless them coming in and going out, everything they put their hands to. But Father, I speak prosperity over this house. I'll tell you something, guys. Tell you what's fixing to happen. I see a, in my spirit, I see a, Shalice, I see a a, a funnel. It's not like a funnel like you normally think, big up here and little down here. It's more like a pipeline. There are keys. There are certain keys that are beginning, that you're beginning to get hold of. And as you put those keys in the locks and turn them, God is going to begin to flow prosperity through that pipeline and the pressure is going to become so great, so great. If you can imagine, here's what I see. I see a pipeline with water, 24-inch pipeline with water flowing through it with such power that you can't get within 20 feet of this thing. It's just blowing out the bottom like a gushing oil well. And God says, that's what I'm going to bring to this house through you and Brian's faithfulness to be stewards and put these things in order. Because this, listen, listen to what I hear him saying. The Lord knows, Shalice. This is for you too, Brian that you have sacrificed many, many things in your attempt, in your search to get it right. God is moved, not by your groveling, not by none of those things have you done. What God is moved by is your unrelenting desire to do what he's called you to do and it be right. And God says, I've come, the day has come, I'm going to honor what you've done in private. I'm going to show it in public. And the power of what you and Brian have done privately, when you've been alone and spoken to each other about what you've had to sacrifice and what you've had to do to make this happen, God says, I will reward you openly.